Welcome to the fourth episode of Making Tracks, and thank you to Narrow Gauge World and Steam Railway magazines for mentioning this podcast in their current editions. This episode, we're looking at one of the most recent new build locos and the restoration of an iconic piece of Victorian railway infrastructure on the national network. We talk to the Chief Mechanical Engineer of the Festiniog and Welsh Highland Railway as the new double fairly locomotive, James Spooner, probably the newest in the world at the time of its commissioning, went on show to the public for the first time at the railway's bygones weekend. And, later in this episode, we'll have an update on the final stage of a £30 million refurbishment of Barmouth Viaduct with Network Rail's project management team. I'm down at um, Harbour Station in Porth Madog talking to Jonathan Wally, the Chief Mechanical Engineer of the Festiniog and Welsh Highland Railway. Afternoon, John. Hello, hello. And um, we are in front of the brand new um, Fairley locomotive, uh, James Spooner. Yes, which is not named James Spooner yet, but it will be named on the 20th of October. Um, so, yes, we're very pleased with the new engine. It looks fantastic in a sort of purple-brown livery with ornate lining and all finished. And, uh, yeah, it's got... Um, Bells and whistles, uh, which is unlike the the other fairly locos. The, the bells are a feature of the the original James Spooner. Um, so, it, it, is this classified as a, a rebuild or a reproduction? Well, we would say it's a new build um, because everything above the power bogies is is brand new um, to a new design, but based on. Uh, you know, the designs from the 1860s and 1870s. So we wanted to create a Victorian-looking engine, but an engine that was modern and we could use every day in normal service trains. The power bogies that it sits on are... They're older. The wheel centres actually came from the Merlin Emrys in 1879. That's their original Merlin Emrys parts. Uh, but the bogies themselves, they date from 1986. But again, they were built to what is essentially the Victorian design um, with some modern improvements. Um, but we would class it as a new build. So it's, it takes the number um, of the original James Spooner, number eight. Uh, so it's number eight in our fleet. And uh, say it will be named officially named James Spooner on the 20th of this month. Excellent. So uh, mechanically, it is very similar um, to the uh, to the original, but with improvements, uh, I suppose you would say. Yes, yes. I mean, we over the years we've we've done various improvements. We've used better materials. We've used um, things like needle roller bearings in the uh, valve gear. We've got um, in the top part. We've got ball valves. Modern. Um, nylon sealed ball valves that, that um but you can't you can't see that it looks victorian but but it is uh and say an engine that we designed to use every day so uh, i mean that sort of um thing is that to make it more efficient in terms of coal consumption or is it just to help with maintenance it, it's it's maintenance mainly because the the maintenance costs of the engines can be very heavy if they wear out within um, a few years, then there's an awful lot of work to 
do to rectify that. So we try and keep the, the maintenance as, as low and as manageable as possible. And, and there's lots of ways you can do that, but still keep the original appearance of the engine. Um, so we like to think that we've got it about right. Um, so it definitely looks Victorian. I, I, I would say so. It looks absolutely stunning. Um, one intriguing feature, um, I noticed in the cab there is a clock in amongst all the dials. Yes, I mean, that that was a, I mean, that's a battery-operated clock, which I, I guess can be useful for the crew. <laughs> um, yeah, we've got a clock. And we, we've, we've got, um, one of the things about the cab is that we've got a removable roof section. So the middle section of the roof comes out and we've, we've got it we've got it off today because um well when the james spooner was originally built it didn't have a cab at all it just had where the boards teach end and when the merlin emerys was originally built it didn't have a middle center section of the cab um so we've tried to replicate that and that's that's nice because in hot weather uh fairies can be very terribly hot to work on um it's a, a very restricted space, isn't it? On the yes, cab. yes. There's not much room at all. So we decided to make the middle section of the roof removable. Um, and that's uh, that seems to have worked very well. I say that the, the middle sections of the roof are still over at Boston Lodge. Um, but if, you know, if today, had, if the weather forecast today had been bad and heavy rain, then we would probably have uh, chosen to put them on. Um, so it, it's a, a decision for the crew on the day whether they put the roof on or leave the roof off. And hopefully that will be successful. Um, so that's something we're, we're trying. Yeah, absolutely. And so you say it's going to be named later on this month. Um, is that when it's likely to enter into regular service? Yes. I mean, at the moment we're, we're doing running in, testing, we're trying it out, Um and if all goes well after it's named, then then it, it can go into regular traffic. Um, I mean, obviously, there aren't that many days left in the season, so and obviously we might be dealing with a some problem that's uh, appeared. But uh, at the moment, yes, I think will it should enter traffic uh, after the twentieth. Uh, and uh, so far, just a. Uh, um few teething snagging issues yeah yeah minor issues that you would expect with a new loco um, so yeah it's uh it's very very good to see it it's, it's nice that it's here today because there's lots of people that have been interested to see it these chaps here are fairlies they're descendants of um mr robert francis fairley who's the originator of the design and also uh, there's a Mr Spooner oh, in fact that's Mr Spooner there um, who's um, a great 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 I can't remember how many greats <laughs> but <laughs> he's a descendant of uh, um, James, the original James Spooner the man who, who was the engineer who built the railway yes he was the he was the surveyor who was working for the Ordnance Survey in the early 1800s and he got involved with the railway project and surveyed the route of the Festinian Railway so very important um, character oh that's wonderful thank you very much yeah no problem thank you
I'm Nigel Spooner. I am the great-great-great-grandson of James Spooner, who was the original surveyor of the Festinial Railway line. Namesake of the locomotive, which uh, we have standing here behind us. Um, how, how does it feel uh, to have the, the family name associated with the railway? Well, it is, of course, great to see the family name continuing in that way. I can claim no credit, of course, for it, being several generations away from the very creative Spooners who not only helped build the railway but ran it for quite a while as well. Uh, A family, incidentally, who also um, in successive generations went out to build railways both in Ceylon as was, Sri Lanka now, and also in Malaya, now Malaysia. So it's quite an interesting background to have. Uh, I have to say I'm not a railway person myself. I, for various reasons, got more interested in aeroplanes when I was younger, so I've been really focusing on them. But it is terrific to be able to come back to Porth Maddock and particularly to see the James Spooner hopefully working later this afternoon, but to see the engine that's been recreated, not quite from scratch, but very nearly in the 2020s is just extraordinary and it's a great privilege to be here thank you very much and i think it, it, the, the the spooner legacy is something that thousands of people appreciate well thank you for that as i say i can claim no credit for it really i suppose it's probably still there in my dna and who knows it may get picked up by one of my sons or grandsons later on it was a real pleasure to speak to nigel spooner Just south of the Festinog, on the Cambrian coastline, there is another railway investment underway, this time on the National Network. Network Rail's £30 million refurbishment of Barmouth Viaduct, locally known as Barmouth Bridge, the single-track viaduct across the estuary of the River Maldach near Barmouth in Wales, with 113 wooden and four metallic spans at 900 yards in length, is the longest timber viaduct in Wales and one of the oldest in regular use in Britain. I spoke to author and historian Peter Johnson about the bridge and its rich railway history dating back to the 1860s when the bridge opened. Uh, What I know about the Barmouth Bridge came about when a few years ago I wrote a history of the Cambrian Railways and I went through the Cambrian records in the National Archives at Kew and photographed all of their records, thousands and thousands of pages. It took lots of visits to do it. But when I came to write the book, I also had a copy of Connie Beer's report to the Institute of Civil Engineers explaining how he'd built the original bridge. And the Cambrian records explained how they built the second bridge and how it was built bigger than the original bridge so that it could be erected around it and they kept the railway open whilst they were building the new bridge. I mean, I'm very sad and surprised that nobody photographed the construction of the second bridge because they worked at night under lights and there's no photographs of it which is quite amazing to me for the early 20th century when quite a lot of photographs were being taken and you'd have thought that somebody would have gone and stood on the rock and photographed the construction works on that bridge because it would have looked quite different to what it does did before and to what it does now and so I was very pleased to be able to supply years later I got an inquiry from an engineer who was working on the project to develop the scheme for building the replacement of the second bridge and I supplied him with photographs 
of all the documents that I'd seen that were relevant because I got all the indexes. So I was able to give him exactly the documents to save him an awful lot of time in going to queue. Um, and also I gave him a copy of Conibeer's report and um, uh, was able to help in that. So I played a very small part in the reconstruction of the second Barmouth Bridge. And I'm very pleased about that. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, the, the, the current reconstruction is uh, underway, as you know, at the moment. Um, it's been worked on not at night, um, and the railway line has been closed. There's a complete blockade. Um, it was due to be handed back um, for the train service to start operating again uh, in December um, of this year. But uh, this one, at least, is being uh, well documented in terms of photographs. I've seen lots of photographs already. I, I'm really, I've been a bit too lazy to come across and have a look myself for myself. But I've been quite happy to see the photographs that various people have, uh, uh, have posted to, uh, for the interest of uh, curious people like myself. And I'll just mention as well that I visited in the cemetery at Brompton the grave of Conybeare who built the original bridge. And he's got a nice big grave in a big prominent London cemetery. Uh, very impressive, and I'm very pleased to see that as well. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Network Rail has successfully moved two new 160-tonne metallic spans into place onto the viaduct, reaching a milestone in the restoration of the iconic structure. Simon Roberts is Network Rail's programme manager. He explains how they approach refurbishing a heritage project like Barmouth. Yeah, we approach... Uh... Heritage rail projects on iconic structures like this by engagement, engaging with planning authorities. Uh, obviously, this is a grade two star listed structure, uh, CADU, uh, local authorities. And we've got a listed building consents team that uh, help and guide us through the process, ensuring that uh, everything we do is in keeping with the original structure. Um, you know, including making sure all the rivets and uh, all the cross members look the same. So to all intents and purposes, it looks exactly the same as the structure that was there uh, that was installed in uh, 1906. The method we've used to install the new structures of the Vardix is, is admittedly quite unusual. Um, and this has taken uh, quite a lot of development. Uh, we've taken learnings from structures that have been done elsewhere, We've worked really closely with Alan Griffiths, our valued supply chain partner. Um, and we've also you know, explored lots and lots of different options with lots and lots of different contractors. You know, Finally landing on this, I think, is the most practical. Uh, it's innovative, but it is uh, uh, the, the chosen methodology which gets us the best value for money. And uh, I think it, it, it doesn't rely on some of the more unusual options that we first explored. So... The short answer to it is um, we've, we've chosen this method because it's the right method to, to adopt. Yes, we've still got plenty of work to do, uh, plenty, plenty of things left to do. Uh, although some of the main elements are, are now in, there's a lot of uh, very complex jacking and uh, cantilevering uh, and propping works to undertake to make sure that we can get the bridge out to its correct width. Uh, then we need to install all of the um, internal sections for the track deck uh, coming from Marine Parade, which is uh, just outside Barmouth. Um, so, yeah, there's a long way to go. Uh, and there's still a lot of complex works to undertake that will involve uh, you know, barges uh, um, 
items of infrastructure coming in uh, seaward uh, and on the track. And of course, once we finish, there's still elements of track work that will be uh, be addressed on the approach uh, from the tunnel at Barmouth. So, yep, very pleased with the progress so far, very pleased with the programme, but there's still a bit to do. So we've just got to pray for uh, pray for good weather. That, that would be the great thing. But of course, we're going into the wrong time of year. But um, yeah, all fingers crossed um, for the weather. But we're on track to finish as planned. If you'd like to know more about the construction method that Simon mentioned, take a look at the link to an animation in the show notes. It was interesting too to hear from Rebecca Butcher at Wales on Rails and the Cambrian Partnership on the positive outlook now for the future of rail travel in North Wales. Producer Laura Raymond spoke to her at their stand at the Fistinyog and Welsh Highland Railways bygones weekend. Hi Rebecca. Hi. What's your take on the, the improvement work at the Barmouth Bridge? Well, I mean, my take, I understand that passengers are disappointed that the bridge is closed, which means that the coastline is essentially closed. But the whole of the Cambrian line, the main line, is still open at Bristwith to Shrewsbury. Um, I think the work that they're doing is amazing. The fact that they've been able to do it in phases has been really beneficial. Um, and the investment that they're putting into it um, just means that the longevity of the line is, is there and it'll be there for years to come. Um, we're in the final phases and I think that's great. We're in the, you know, December will be completed and I'm sure everybody will be overjoyed to go back onto the coastline. Um, but it's an investment that needed to happen and we should be grateful and happy that they have invested and chosen to invest in that. Now, um, you've got many hats on where yes. railways are concerned. <laughs> Tell us about Wales on Rails. Wales on Rails is a project between the Great Little Trains of Wales and the um, uh, Community Rail Partnerships in Wales, and we've included some of the Trouse Cymru networks as well. We've got a website filled with cards that you can um, for things that you can do, things that you can see from different places along the routes, the heritage rail routes, the national routes, and the Trouse Cymru network routes. So it's encouraging sustainable travel, sustainable tourism as well. One of the big things has been uh, linking up the, the network with the heritage lines, um, particularly in Wales, all over the UK as well. But how's it going in Wales? Yeah, so the Wales on Rails project really helps to do that because we really help to promote that connection between travelling on a national route and linking in with um, the heritage lines as well. Um, one of the benefits of what we do with Wales on Rails is that we have that very close relationship now with the heritage lines and with those community rail partnerships in Wales and borders and um, we can work together to really promote that and really encourage people to travel by train but also then to link up with heritage railways and it's great that we can have the Cambrian Railway Partnership here um, as well as Wales on Rails at the Fistinyog and Welsh Highland Railway it's just a real good partnership working and connection. All of these wonderful lines um, going through some amazing scenery and past, you know, histo- history. That um, uh, and you've you've got uh, a way that people can actually find out what they're their travelling pass looking out the window absolutely this year we were really excited to launch the um window seater app the cambria for the cambrian railway partnership um and so the window seater app you can download it it's free to download and it is um filled with stories of different 
um, train lines, train routes, even in Thailand. Um, but we launched our Cambrian Railway one um, on the app this year. And most significant thing about that is that it's the first one to ever be done bilingually in any language but in Welsh so it's available English and Welsh and um, you can we we reached out to the community to tell their stories historical events um, things of interest that you can see from the window uh, whilst you're traveling on the line um, we launched it in August and of course we know that the coastline is closed at the moment but the main line is open and you can the benefit is you can listen to it at home you don't have to be on a train to listen to the stories that are being told but it's a real connection from being on the train line and seeing what you can see out of the window and being part of the community that you're travelling through. We round off this episode with a visit to the naming ceremony for the new double fairly, James Spooner, which took place on the 20th of October at Blyna Fistinyog Station on the Fistinyog Railway. The chair of the all-party parliamentary group for Heritage Rail, the MP with the most little railways in her constituency, Liz Savile-Roberts, did the honours. in uh, your constituency how does it feel to do the honours today oh it's it's, it's a fantastic honour and I must say actually uh, there are seven heritage rail lines in the constituency of Dwyfo Merionid and also the Corris line has a brand new engine this year but of course this this fairly engine James Spooner yeah. one of the names that is so resonant for the for rail for Vicinia for the Vicinia line and also just to see all the children from the school here as well. And the school Ferrin, they have a train on their school uniform. So, I mean, it's just a fantastic day. I mean, yes, it's raining, but everyone's really warm. We've got a roof over our head, and it just reminds us, of course, you know, Blind Ephesinuk is here because of the slates. The slate industries could grow here when they could start taking slate out on trains rather than on the back of pack horses. So these trains and this town and the quarries have all been part of, of, of you know, their history has grown together and it's fantastic to see a brand new beautiful engine and to see all the young people seeing engineering in action it's not all computers it's hands-on you get your hands dirty you get your face dirty it's great <laughs> talking to Peder Peter Jarvis retired plate layer long-term volunteer supporter ambassador of the Festinyog Railway Company uh, about James Spooner and what, what it means to the railway and to us as, as enthusiasts to see this new engine well James Spooner is a restatement in modern terms of an exceedingly ancient design I don't know of any other mechanical object still in production after 100, uh, 150 years the railway used to run from the harbour station round to the round to the harbour and of course in doing so it went along the public road and in the old days trams used to have to have a bell to warn of their approach and I just wonder whether the company had used the same sort of approach in, in putting a bell on James on the on the old, old engine so we put a bell on this one just out of sheer effrontery a straight one and it upset all the uh, cognoscenti who think we ought to be doing things in an old-fashioned style it's a modern engine 
It's our engine, and this is the original company, and why shouldn't we? Introduce yourself. Yeah, it's Alison Jones. Now, Alison, um, you um, work at Boston Lodge. Tell us what you do and, and uh, how you feel about this amazing Rementors Day. Uh, I'm a carriage painter, an engine painter. I did actually take part in painting some bits of the uh, James Spooner. The domes are mine. Um, I love it. I'm so excited to be invited to something like this. It's not normally that we get to do it, but this is really special. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it here. My name is Mike Chinnery. I'm a very long-term First City York Railway volunteer of 60 years standing. Today is the naming ceremony for a locomotive. Naming ceremonies in humans normally involve in getting the baby's head wet. Having been rained on for a locomotive is singularly appropriate. Thank you to everyone who took the time to speak to us from this episode of Making Tracks. Making Tracks is presented by me, Alasdair Stewart, and produced by Laura Raymond. Our podcast music is taken from Kledry from the ukulele quartet Tanner Bulk and used with kind permission of musician Richard Durrant. <laughs>